It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, coming to you courtesy of CBS Sports HQ, the brand new streaming sports news network, which has 24-7 live coverage of sports and costs you absolutely nothing, 100% free at all times, loaded with the things that I always look for in sports coverage, highlights, breaking news, fantasy advice, gambling picks, although I don't know that they're going to be as good as my brother Craig's, but still useful, and quality analysis. All those things are first rate on the CBS Sports HQ, and they're not something that you get very often from a lot of these big-time sports personalities, <laughs> Skip Bayless. And the best part is, not only is it completely free, 24-7, it doesn't even require a subscription or a login. You just download the CBS Sports app on your phone, Apple TV, Roku, Fire TV, and any other connected device at any time to watch CBS Sports HQ. No fake debates, just sports for real sports fans, just like you get here on Play Like a Jet, at the great price of absolutely nothing. You don't even have to log in or sign up for anything. Download the CBS Sports app and watch CBS Sports HQ today. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it is time for the Chronicles of Nania with the man who this show is named after. And that, of course, is the resident stat geek over at TurnOnTheJets.com, Elite Sports New York, Gangrene Nation, as well as Odds Checker and Yard Barker. But above all that, he is known as a major disappointment who hasn't even come close to living up (laughs) to expectations. Michael Nania. Michael, what's going on, buddy? (laughs) That's right. The the Joe Tessitore classic, just not even close. To expectations like Leonard Williams but uh, yeah good good to be back and lots of lots of interesting drama with the Jets right now but uh, staying true to uh, kind of what my forte is I like to just stick to the just the football aspect a lot going on off the field with Jamal <laughs> Adams and you know no no shortage of talk surrounding him but we've got plenty of numbers and stuff you know more on the field but also with you know draft picks and just uh, the val- with the trade deadline just passing just talking about the the valuation of draft picks and what you could expect to get out of those versus known commodities a lot of interesting stuff that uh, you can get out of just just taking some of this off-field drama and the the trade talk and kind of translating it into to what that means on the field michael before we continue i have to make a confession to you and i don't like saying this publicly but i'm gonna have to do it here because i feel like i owe you that i have a couple of holes in the podcast schedule and they've been very hard to fill and i know how good you are at stats and I know that there's nobody better than you. But when Travis Wingfield from Locked On Dolphins called me, I had to listen to his offer because where I'm from, when somebody calls to make an offer on anything, you listen. And Michael, I'm not saying that I had you out on the block or anything like that. I certainly wasn't doing that. But Travis called, so I heard him out. He made a really good offer. We got to the podcast trade deadline. 
I wasn't able to get the type of King's Ransom that I was looking for in exchange for your services. So I'm happy to still have you here, and I just hope that it's okay with you that I at least heard Travis out. No, listen, listen. I, I don't think that's fair because when I just see myself as, you know, Aaron Donald, Tom Brady, I, I kind of see myself as uh, the John Cena of turn on the Jets. I'm the guy that people buy tickets to come here and see. So I, I don't think that's okay for you to go behind my back and shot me like that. I'm just not cool with it. I don't know if I'm ready to talk to you about this yet, but uh, I, I might go on Twitter and just kind of rant about it a little bit. Just let everyone know how I feel. But uh, I'm, I don't know if I'm ready to talk about this issue quite yet. Okay, in that case, let's not talk about this issue. Let's talk about some numbers. <laughs> <laughs> and we will start with one of the players that we thought might get moved at the trade deadline, and that is Robbie Anderson. A lot of us were saying that in order for Robbie Anderson to get moved, the Jets would have to get at least a second-round pick. And by all accounts, from what Chris Nimbley said on the podcast, that is exactly what the Jets' mentality was. They set the asking price at a second-rounder, let it be known that they wouldn't sell for anything less. Nobody was willing to offer that second-rounder, and so Robbie sticks around. And the reason for that is because they recognized that trading Robbie Anderson was going to mean that Sam Darnold's development was going to be stunted a little bit because we know that the Jets are pretty thin in the wide receiving core. And so if you trade the best weapon that he has in the passing game, now all of a sudden you've got nine games where Darnold doesn't have a lot of targets to throw to and his best player is somewhere else. So people were challenging that. They were saying, well, Darnold's been taking a step backward anyway and how good is Robbie Anderson anyway? And what's the big deal about Darnold and Anderson together? Well, the big deal about Darnold and Anderson together is they've got some pretty good numbers and it shows you that the Jets probably made the right move because if they can replicate these numbers that you dug up over the next couple of years, if they keep Robbie Anderson or even over the next nine games, it should help Sam Darnold's development quite a bit. Yeah, and I was a huge advocate of keeping Robbie Anderson, not trading him. And, you know, it has to do with their depth at wide receiver mostly. You don't have anybody else there. at the out, uh, On the outside, you have Jameson Crowder. But uh, to, to have Darnold be throwing to Demarius Thomas and Vincent Smith over the rest of the season wouldn't be fair to him. Uh, it, would, it would make it tough for the front office to evaluate him like they really have to over these last few games uh, just to set their position going forward. So uh, because of the depth at wide receiver, because like you can make a Leonard Williams trade because, you know, you have Kyle Phillips, Fadakasi, Quinton Williams, McClendon, Henry Anderson, a ton of guys who are going to fill his place. But you don't have that at outside receiver. But in addition to that, I was just not a fan of trading Anderson because I believe in him as a player. I think he is a really solid starting wide receiver, a guy who, would be really hard to replace with even a second round pick. And those were the numbers that I looked at because the second round pick, like you said, was the popular kind of price point that fans set as acceptable for him. But I don't even think that is good enough. And I know that uh, most people probably wouldn't agree with that and they would take a second rounder for him. But I really think, and, and just the data really backs it up, that a second round pick wouldn't be good enough for him. So since 2017, which is when Robbie was uh, first became a regular starter, with the team since 2017, he's averaged 54 yards a game and about 0.38 touchdowns per game, which would put him on pace for 865 yards and six touchdowns over 16 games. And obviously that's with, you know, the quarterback getting knocked out three times, uh, bad offensive line, limiting the potential with deep attack. But he still put up those solid numbers and 44 wide receivers have been taken in the second round since 2010. Only five of them. So 11 percent of those second round receivers were able to match both of those totals in terms of receiving yards per game and touchdowns per game that Anderson has put up over the last three years. And those guys were superstars. You're talking about Michael Thomas, Juju Smith-Schuster, Alshon Jeffrey, Allen Robert, Allen Robinson, and Devontae Adams. So 
Only really big-time steals, really good players have been able to match what Anderson has done, even in the second round. You know, you're talking about the second round out of seven, a, a, still a premium round at the top of the draft. Those picks are – those are some of the best picks in the draft, quite obviously. But even in the second round, not many receivers have come close to matching. Even what Anderson has done, he hasn't been – a superstar, obviously, the circumstances haven't been good enough for him to put up super uh, superstar production. But even what he has done, very few second uh, second round wide receivers have matched. But I talked about how his quarterbacks have been knocked out: Josh McCown, 2017; Sam Darnold, now two years in a row. But in 29 games, where a starting quarterback has been healthy, so Josh McCown, 2017; Sam Darnold, these last two years, he's put up about 59.8 receiving yards per game and .48 touchdowns per game, which would put him on pace for, for some better numbers than he does overall, about 957 yards and eight touchdowns over 16 games. And only one second-round receiver since 2010 has averaged those numbers over the course of their career. That would be Michael Thomas. So uh, when he's had his starting quarterback healthy, and especially with Sam Darnold, what we saw at the end of last season in the Dallas game, uh, especially with Darnold, but really you go back to what he was doing with McCown before he got hurt in 2017. Uh, he, he's been really productive, and it's it's tough to match that, the second-round pick, even even though a second-round pick is quite high. Uh, even there, it's been hard to – not many receivers have matched what Robbie Anderson has put up. So I really believe in him as a player. I think if you get the circumstances right around him, because it takes a good offensive line, takes a good quarterback for a receiver – uh, to put up good numbers, but if he had, if he like, if he went to a team like the Eagles, if he was on a team like the Rams, or you know whoever else wanted to trade for him, I think the Packers were mentioned as a team as well. If he went to one of those teams, I could easily see him put up uh, these numbers that we're talking about on per game basis and put them up over a whole season. You know, a thousand yards, eight touchdowns, maybe a ten touchdown season here or there. I totally, be- totally believe he's capable of that, and it-, it goes just beyond his production. You know what he does on the field, his deep ball tracking ability fact that he's really rounded out his all-around game become uh, a solid guy in the intermediate range too complimented what he does best and become you know pretty solid even even if, if he's just okay in that intermediate range the fact that he's elite at the deep ball which is maybe the most dangerous most important thing a receiver can do uh, and has been able to complement that in other ways i really like him as a player and uh, the production he's put up is hard to match at the second round pick so uh, i'm glad he's still jet and hopefully he is for a long time One thing that you said when we were talking about the prospect of moving some of these guys before the trade deadline was that draft picks are overrated. Now, part of the reason is because of the data you just talked about, but you had more data to back up what you were talking about. Some of it involved the number one overall pick in the history of that. Talk to me a little bit about some of the data that you dug up that really made you come to the conclusion that getting draft picks is a lot less valuable than some of these general managers think. Yeah, so... I think really my core reasoning with the whole, you know, trading players for picks uh, kind of philosophy is that the the Leonard Williams trade versus the potential of some of the other trades the Jets are looking at, Robbie Anderson in particular, who we just talked about, Le'Veon Bell, Jamal Adams even. I think if you can make a trade like the Leonard Williams trade, get rid of a guy who you have the personnel to replace and not miss, that's a good trade because you get rid of Leonard Williams. You don't have to pay him. Uh, you get the third round pick and the fifth round pick and the guys you have to replace him. I mentioned them earlier, but they have so much talent on the defensive line. Defensive line is the deepest position in the NFL. They're not going to see any drop off in production out of that unit without him. Most likely not over the rest of the season and going forward. So you net two draft picks and you don't lose that much on the field, but you trade a guy like Robbie Anderson, a known commodity who, you know, you know, he brings to the table. You've seen him play. This is his fifth year in the league now or fourth year in the league now. You know what he brings to the table, and you're trading that for a draft pick, which, and you you just look at the history, and what I was going at with the number one pick uh, when I was talking to you a few days ago is that 
you just look at the entire history of even the number one overall pick in the draft. It's 50-50. There are so many busts there. You've got guys who are superstars. You have Peyton Manning. You have Orlando Pace. you got Miles Garrett now who's turning into a superstar. you got Jared Goff, who's the Super Bowl quarterback. Plenty of hits, but just as many whiffs, even in the number one overall spot. And you go to number two, you go to number three. It's the same everywhere. Even as high as you go in the draft at the top of the first round, it, it's hit or miss. So the comparison that I was kind of uh, making is that, like, say you trade Jamal Adams for the number one pick, and you look at all the lists of guys who've been taken number one over the past, say, 20 years or so. Would you rather have Jamal Adams, who you know is a pro bowl, all pro safety, top three is position, or a dartboard throw at one of those guys uh, on the number one pick. You could get someone better than him. You could get, like I said, Orlando Pace, Peyton Manning, a guy of that quality, but you could also get a complete bust. So uh, really, I think the thing with uh, known commodities versus draft picks is that you got to understand the average draft pick, no matter how high it is, is on average probably not going to be as good as, you know, a good player like we know Jamal Adams is, like Robbie Anderson is, who is, uh, his production has been really solid when uh, things have been going his way. So uh, really just the overall premise is that uh, if you can do what the Jets did with Leonard Williams, you know, grab some extra draft picks and lose someone who uh, not having isn't going to hurt you that much, then that's a good thing. But if you're trading a known commodity like a Robbie Anderson for a second round pick who, you know, like the numbers I just displayed earlier, a second round, because you got to replace Robbie Anderson if you lose them. And that's the thing of this comparison here. You don't have to replace Leonard Williams because the Jets have people in-house to replace him, but you do have to replace Robbie Anderson. If you get rid of him, you're going to have to find someone better. Uh, Demarius Thomas and Vincent Smith are not the answer at outside receiver, so eventually you got to find someone else to replace him. But that second-round pick, you know, based on the numbers I showed earlier, is unlikely to produce what Robbie Anderson has done for the Jets. So you just look at the history of what draft picks have done, and, and that's the reason that good teams draft so well, why drafting is so important, because it's so hard to get these picks right. So the teams that do get them right, uh, more consistently than most other teams. Those are the teams that are going to be good because it's so hard to do. But that's why you shouldn't trade your known commodities, the guys who you actually did find. They got Robbie as an undrafted free agent. They got Jamal at number six in the draft. They had a terrible season, and that's that the reward is getting, uh, being able to pick him uh, back in 2017. So when you do hit on those guys, you really got to keep them. Uh, you know, it, within reason, because, you know, if the Jets could have gotten, you know, a first round pick, two second round picks for Jamal Adams, then that probably would have been something they would have happily taken the potential to get uh, three premium picks for a guy who, you know, by the time they have to pay, the Jets still might not even be good. And like we're seeing, he's a safety, not a premium position, uh, the kind a kind of guy who and you mentioned this earlier uh, when we were talking before the podcast, but the Ravens were a team uh, that were interested in Jamal Adams. If he went to the Ravens, you know, that's the kind of place where Adams can make the difference to elevate the Ravens from a pretty good team to Super Bowl contender. But like we're seeing on the Jets, uh, a team that's really bad, doesn't have the premium positions, you know, still trying to get Sam Darnold right, don't have the O-line, don't have the pass rush. He can't make too much of an impact on that team. So you don't know long term uh, if he's even still going to be around by the time they have those positions uh, and he can make the impact to elevate them from good to great. So if you could get a huge package like that, for a player like Adams, then, you know, that's why Joe Douglas is listening to offer. See if you can get someone to do something crazy. But overall, I really think that uh, draft picks are overrated in the sense that they're just so hard to hit on. So it, it doesn't make sense to trade a known commodity uh, for, you know, a lottery pick that doesn't have a great chance of working out. Uh, and again, within reason, you don't know uh, how they feel about contract negotiations, uh, negotiations with these guys, how they feel about the potential to resign them. Cause now with Jamal Adams, it doesn't look like that's, 
terribly likely the way uh, some of the things he said recently. So there are a lot of factors that go into it. But overall, I really feel that uh, teams and fans really in general should just kind of value known commodities uh, more than they do just because of the history of how unlikely draft picks are to hit on. And that's why teams that are good draft so well because they're so, so hard to hit on. But uh, those Robbie numbers really sum it up good. It just goes to show that uh, as even though Robbie Anderson is not a superstar, even in the second round, you're unlikely to get the production, very unlikely actually, to get uh, the production that he's put up for them. To your point, Michael, if you have a good general manager, and I've used Chris Ballard as an example, you can take those picks and hit more often than most other general managers. And like you said, if you do that, then your team is going to be good because it's so hard to consistently hit on picks. If you get a bad general manager who consistently whiffs on picks, then your team is going to be really bad and you're going to be in a position where you may need to trade your best player because he's the only way to acquire more picks to help fill the holes that the previous general manager was derelict in filling. And to continue down this road, I am, of course, talking about Mike McCagnin, and you dug up some really scary data about Mike McCagnin's draft picks. I'm looking at this list now, and to be honest with you, Michael, I'm really glad that I have the lights on, because if I didn't, I'd be too scared to go to sleep tonight based on this list. It is a really scary <laughs> list. Can you break this down for me, please? Yeah, and, and we talked about the numbers more in depth a, a few months ago before the season about just how bad McCagnin was. Uh, you know, after they fired him, we talked about just how bad he was, uh, the production of his first four drafts. Uh, with the team, you know, based on approximate value and, you know, stuff like that. And just comparing it to the rest of the league, how bad he was. But, you know, just looking at the entire picture, because we got the whole picture here of all uh, 34 picks that he's made with the team over his five drafts. And you look at all five and it seems like right now, and it's too early for most of these guys uh, in the 2019 class, except of course, for Kai Polite, who is no longer at this team already. Uh, but for everyone else, uh, the other five guys, it is, too early to make any declarations on them but still overall you look at the entirety of the five classes uh the mccagan picked for the jets and it looks like they got eight hits you have nobody left from 2015 on the team uh, in 2016 you have only jordan jenkins uh you have jenkins lachlan edwards and brandon shell and shell obviously is a complete liability lachlan edwards is a punter uh, and jordan jenkins is probably one of those eight hits along with edwards then you go to 2017 you have adams and may at the top nobody else left on the team after those two guys, a, a draft class from two years ago has only the top two picks. A nine-player class, by the way, not a small class. Nine players, only your top two picks still left from there. Then you go to 2018. You have Darnold. You know, we'll see what he turns into, but he's at least still with the team and, and you know, has the potential to be a really, really good player. Uh, not playing his best football recently, but we know two weeks shouldn't cancel out the potential uh, that he's shown. But still, a, uh, you know, TBD with Sam Darnold, but you have Chris Herndon, who... Ha played really well as a rookie, had a very good rookie season uh, for a tight end, uh, one of the best rookie tight end seasons in recent memory, but now he's battling injuries, suspensions. We don't know if he could stay on the field, but they had Fadakasi in that draft, so three out of six in 2018, but Nathan Shepard in the third round, complete bust. Perry Nickerson, sixth round, he's gone. Trent Cannon is still with the team, but you know he's just a special teamer, so no huge impact there, but then you go to 2019, and you have Quinn and Williams at number one, We'll still see what he does. And, you know, he, he's a great, he was a great prospect. He, it made sense to pick him at number three, even though, uh, regardless of position, just because his tape was that good, 
And you look at him, uh, you look at his play this year, he hasn't put up the production, only the half sack, not great tackle numbers or whatever, but but those things don't really matter. You look at his best plays that he's made. Some of the best plays that uh, Q has made this season have been some of the best tape that any Jets player has put up this season. It's just about consistency for him, but he has had some really dominant plays against the run this year. But then you look at the rest of the class. You have Idoga at three, who, uh, well, first you have Chagai Belay, who already is not with the team. Then you have Idoga in the third round, who has looked showed some potential at right tackle, but at left tackle has been a huge disaster. But, you know, he has potential. He's a rookie. Uh, still some time for him. But Wesco in the fourth round, who's picked to be an instant impact blocking tight end. That has not worked out. Blake Cashman in the fifth round. Uh, he's already out for the season due to injury. And when he was out there, and to be fair, he was thrown in you know a lot earlier than the team probably hoped. But he was very, very bad when he was out there. And I don't think a lot of people have really noticed that as much as they probably should. But in my opinion, just from you know reviewing the games and kind of seeing uh, everything as a whole, he's been he was pretty bad out there. But uh, still a rookie and time for him. And of course, for all these guys. And you have Austin, uh, bless on Austin in the sixth round who hasn't played yet. But overall, you look at those 34 picks, five drafts, only guys who are still with the team and you know seem like a potential piece. You have Edwards, who's a punter, Jordan Jenkins, Marcus May, Jamal Adams, Fadakasi, Herndon, Darnold, and Quinton Williams. That's eight guys out of 34, less than a quarter, which is not ideal at all. So, uh, yeah, just when you look at the whole picture now, you know, now that, and again, it's too early for the 2019 guys, but they have uh, played half a season in the league or, you know, half a season has passed since they've been drafted. But uh, a lot of time has passed on all these guys now, and especially the Leonard Williams trade, that also brings light to this because now his whole entire inaugural uh, inaugural class with the Jets is out the door. So a lot of time has passed. These guys have gotten the chance to play a lot of games, uh, develop over the course of multiple years, and the body of work is really, really bad. And really just this whole picture. And you can look at it on Pro Football Reference. It has the whole profootballreference.com as the whole draft history for the Jets. I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of other sites where you could see it. But if you just look at the whole entire picture, 2015 to 2019 Jets drafts, this one picture is the reason the Jets are one and six right now. And Adam Gase has played a part of it. Injury, suspensions, all the stuff that's transpired this season. But the main reason the Jets are this bad. Uh, and, you know, in this not so promising position going forward is because of 2015 to 2019 drafts. They were just that bad. And we talked about earlier how hard it is to hit on these picks. And that's why, you know, if you're not hitting on them, that's how you dig your team to a really deep hole. That's how you don't have the depth to deal with the injuries and suspensions the Jets have had this season. So uh, this, this picture real, right here really encapsulates everything. You look at 2015 to 2019 uh, and the very, very small amount of production the Jets have gotten out of that. Uh, that really sums up why they're in the position they are right now. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. 
With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. We talk about the negligence of Mike McCagnan's draft record, and when you do that, you cannot help but talk about the fact that he completely ignored the offensive line during his tenure. Yeah. He drafted three offensive linemen during the years that he was here. Now, remember, we're talking about 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Five drafts, three offensive linemen. Two of them were picked in the fifth round, Jarvis Harrison, who did nothing and is gone. Brandon Shell, who's been a below-average starter, and Chuma Adoga was picked in the third round this past year. As you said, Michael, we've seen some things from him that make us encourage that maybe he can make some progress at right tackle. He certainly looked lost at left tackle. Either way, certainly the jury is out on Chuma Adoga. And because of the fact that the Jets have made such a lack of investment in the offensive line, it should surprise nobody that their offensive line is one of the worst in the NFL, if not the worst. And you have some more horrifying stats to back this up, Michael. It's not what we want to hear, but it's what we need to hear. Yeah, that's right. You got you to gotta look at the truth. But, uh, the, you know, the thing with the offensive line stats is that you can't just you know, attack everything onto the offensive line, whether it's rushing yards, sacks, especially sacks. Uh, sacks are a big-time quarterback stat, more so than offensive line, I think, and that's because, you know, most sacks are avoidable to some extent, even if you have to take a grounding penalty. You know, sometimes a sack is the right play to take, you know, over a grounding, over a risky, you know, potential interception if you're throwing out of the pocket. But uh, you know, most sacks are avoidable, so it's really kind of a stylistic thing for quarterbacks. You know, are they more conservative and – would they rather take sacks instead of, you know, throw the ball down the field? Because Ryan Fitzpatrick is a guy who consistently puts up really low sack rates every single year, but that's a big reason why he throws so many interceptions because he's getting the ball out. He's a gunslinger. He's going to toss the ball down the field uh, instead of taking a sack. And then there are other guys like Marcus Mariota who takes ridiculous amount of sacks every single year and doesn't throw a lot of interceptions, but doesn't necessarily mean he's good or his offensive line is that bad. It's just because... That's the way he plays. He's a really conservative player, takes a lot of sacks. So you can't really uh, entirely, you know, blame all sacks in the offensive line. Even the run game, you know, comes down to play calling. You know, are they calling runs in the right situations? Are they calling runs that fit the talent of the offensive line? Is the running back playing well? But with this Jets team, you know, watching them all season like we have, we kind of know what the circumstances are. We know the Jets have a really good running back who's done everything he can. Uh, to lift up this run game, and Le'Veon Bell, who's been breaking tackles as well as anyone all season, getting yards after contact, and you know, getting as little yardage before contact as anybody else all season. We know the Jets have that. And then at quarterback, you know, we have Luke Falk, who you know did a terrible job uh, taking sacks in the pocket. But we have Sam Darnold, who's done, who we know from last season is really good at dodging the pressure, and you know, is a guy kind of like Fitzpatrick, and not in a bad way. But I'm just saying stylistically, is a guy who is 
more of a gunslinger is not going to take that many sacks because last year Sam Darnold's sack rate was not that bad in spite of the Jets having a really bad offensive line, and that's because you know he's a gunslinger, and we know that about him. And can he harness that uh, long term and become a really good gunslinger? We'll have to see, but that's just his style. So you can't put everything on the offensive line because of these factors. But we know with this Jets team that uh, the Jets being bad at running, the Jets giving up so many sacks can be attributed to them. So that's why these stats being so historically awful is really notable and just kind of shows you that this offensive line is so bad. So the numbers are terrible. This Jets offensive line is the first in league history ever to allow more than 30 sacks and run for less than 500 yards through their first seven games. Jets have run for 454 yards, which is, uh, I believe, uh, 31st in the league. It's 31st in the league. Uh, They've given up 34 sacks, which is tied for the most in the league with the Titans. The Titans have played one more game uh, than the Jets have. The Jets have given up the highest sack rate in the league uh, and the most sacks per game in the league. So they are the first team ever to allow more than 30 sacks and run for less than 500 yards through their first seven games, which is just incredible. And when you're that historically bad, even though you can't attribute everything to the O-line, knowing what we know, watching the film, watching this team every single week, we know that the offensive line is a huge reason for those numbers and that it's not uh, the Jets don't have Marcus Mariota at quarterback. Uh, they did have Luke Falk for a little bit, but uh, they have a guy in Darnold who can dodge those sacks. And we know this offensive line is responsible for many of those sacks and for most of the uh, the lack of rushing production. So that it's just terrible production. And just to look to see a team be that historically bad and the two things the O-line is most responsible for is just a terrible indictment on how bad they are. And Another one to put alongside with that, the Jets have run for uh, 447 yards. I said uh, 454 earlier, but 447 rushing yards. They've lost 216 yards uh, through the 34 sacks they've given up. So they're the second team in the Super Bowl era to run for fewer than 450 yards and lose over 200 yards through sacks over their first seven games. The only other team to do that was the 1991 Colts. They finished 1-15, which is uh, not good company to be in. So uh, really, when you're this historically bad uh, across the board, no matter how you slice it, it's uh, it goes to show that you're probably really terrible uh, because the numbers don't t- uh, tell the whole story. And, you know, that's kind of what I've been getting at. Uh, we talk about it a lot on this podcast all the time. But uh, really, when you're that consistently bad, that uh, that really shows you that you truly are uh, as bad as the numbers say you are if you're that consistently terrible. Uh, in every single way, just like the Jets offense this season, they're the worst at rushing or the worst at passing or close to it uh, in pretty much every category. That shows you that, you know, they really are that bad offensively. And the numbers aren't lying to you. But uh, with this offensive line, uh, knowing what we know, knowing that this they truly have been this bad in protection, uh, in protection uh, in the run game. They have a great running back uh, who has done as much as he could to help this team out. But to be that bad in the run game and with sacks, uh, this historically awful. Uh, it just goes to show what uh, Bell and Darnold are dealing with and how hard uh, how hard it's been for them to put uh, to get things going and why you can't really put uh, too much blame on them uh, for their lack of production. Darnold can limit the turnovers, and but but for Bell in particular, can't. It's hard to blame him with what he's got. But uh, th- just these records, it really goes to show that uh, how bad this unit has been. They battled injuries. Uh, of course, that's been an issue, but the talent's just not there. And like you said, with the the lack of drafting, the fact that the Jets drafted 34 guys under Mike McKagan and three of them were offensive linemen, it's, it's just ridiculous. And especially with, with the team that was searching for a franchise quarterback, the whole time he was there, you knew you were gonna, you know, it was gonna take a few years until they found that guy. They, you know, tanked 2017 to get that quarterback. Um, 2016, 
throughout 2016, you could tell that 2017 was going to be a tank year, that they're going to have a high pick uh, in 2017, but they still never pre- pre- uh, prepare for that quarterback to come by building that offensive line, which is just completely inexplicable. And the three guys they did pick, two of them were fifth rounders. They didn't even pick one in the third round until Edoga this year, uh, prior to Darnold's second year. So just terrible philosophy. But before that franchise quarterback comes, and that's what was unique about McKagan's tenure, was the fact that he came in there competitive year one. Uh, they were able to go all in for year two under Fitzpatrick. But d- during that time, he should have been able, she, he should have been stacking up a uh, young wide receiver talent, you know, which I guess he tried to do with Stewart and Hanson. Uh, just stacking up young offensive talent, especially on the offensive line to prepare for when that quarterback came. But by the time, by the time Donald got here, as we're seeing now, absolutely nothing done uh, on the offensive front. And you just look at some of the best offensive lines in the league. And I looked at the top five O lines by PFF grade and PFF grade does not tell you everything. It's really not a good metric, but it it is one of the better ways just to kind of uh, sort out the best O lines, but you look at the best offensive lines in the league. So the top five uh, offensive lines in the league by PFF grade, and you look at where they got their talent from, it's pretty much uh, entirely from the draft. You, You look at those top five lines. So the top five lines based on this Eagles, Saints, Ravens, Colts, Cowboys, of their starting 10 guys uh, on those five lines, only four of them. So out of the 20 guys on those five line uh, on those five lines, only four of them were free agent or trade pickups. The jets have three guys on their uh, week one starting offensive line who are free agent or trade pickups, Beecham, Osemele and Khalil. Uh, and you look at the draft picks uh, where these guys were drafted for these top five lines. Most pretty much all of them, all of them except uh, one, were rounds one through three and round three are only three of these. Most of them were round one or round two. The jets obviously have uh, zero round one or round two picks on their starting offensive line. So building the offensive line, completely the opposite of how good teams are supposed to do it. Not taking advantage of, you know, having the time to build it before the quarterback came, having three drafts before they built up, before they finally drafted the franchise quarterback, uh, got him exactly uh, one starting offensive lineman who's terrible in that time so completely building the offensive just ignoring the offensive line doing it the exact opposite of the way you're supposed to do it and we're seeing the results right here hey guys greg peterson here with the baseball betting podcast as we know the mlb season is back in our lives it's going to be a 60 game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before and i'm going to be giving you picks every single day seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a Jet. Play like a Jet. Michael, I do have to take issue with one thing you said, and that's that the Jets were attempting to stack young wide receivers like Chad Hansen and Darius Stewart, because <laughs> I think Darius Stewart was 23 or 24 years old at the time. So not quite the young wide receiver stacking that you would have liked to have seen. But then again, it is in character with Mike McCagnan. I do want to circle back to what you were saying about the offensive line and how the numbers don't always tell the story. I think that they're good to look at, but as you said, you really need to find a way to look deeper, look at the film. And it's hard because you often miss things when you're watching live with the offensive line. That position more than any other I've found is one that you really have to watch back the tape to see what was going on. 
And it's a position that a lot of times the numbers don't tell the full story. So I wanted to get your thoughts on this. And some of this overlaps with what you already said, but still I'm going to read it verbatim and then I want to get your take on it. This is from an ESPN question and answer session with future Hall of Famer and Cleveland Brown all-time great offensive tackle Joe Thomas, who played his college ball at Wisconsin. The question asked was, from a player's standpoint, how do you feel about ESPN's attempt to measure pass rush with their pass rush win rate? I know you've spoken out on the usefulness of rushing efficiency, rate of rushes in which the offense gained either a first down, four yards, or a touchdown. So this would be the other side of that coin. And then here's Joe Thomas's response. He said, I really like what all these people are doing with the next-gen table stats. I think it starts to tell us so much more about the bigger picture, about individual players and their performances, and I think it really helps us in the media get a much better idea of how people on teams are playing and where the narrative should go. Earlier on in my career, people would just look at sacks, and then if you gave up a lot of, (laughs) this is actually funny, Michael, I think he meant to say give up a lot of sacks, but he accidentally wrote give up a lot of sex. I would imagine that would be kind of a problem for an offensive line. As a unit, or a few amount of sacks, the narrative would be that you're either a good offensive line or a bad offensive line when there's so much more that goes into it. I think fans and the media are starting to understand that sacks are really almost more of a stat for the quarterback and his ability to read the defense and get rid of the football on time and to the right person than it is anything involving the performance of the offensive line, which matches some of what you said before, Michael. Rushing efficiency is one of my favorite stats because it tells the story of how good your run game was on any given day. Even average yards per carry doesn't tell you as good of a story because if you get a big lead and you're trying to kill the clock at the end of the game, that one or two yard rush might be at the goal line or might be to get that key first down to keep the clock moving. Whereas rushing efficiency actually tells you how often you reach the goal on any given play. So I thought those are really interesting comments by Joe Thomas, especially the inadvertent typo about sex instead of sacks. It's obviously going to get a chuckle from anybody. But what do you make of what Joe Thomas said there? I thought there was a lot to digest, but a lot of it made sense to me and it kind of goes along with what you were saying before. Yeah, well, first of all, with this 2019 Jets team in particular, if this offensive line didn't let their quarterback have as much sex, then maybe he would have been healthy (laughs) for the entire season. A very good point. The offensive line has got to guard not only against incoming rushers or against guys that are trying to take down the running back, but also against women who are trying to kiss the quarterback and give him mono. (laughs) That, That should be the primary job. We need more stats for that. No question about it. But beyond that, what did you think of what Joe Thomas had to say? Yeah, yeah, his comments were great. And and I like what he said about yards per attempt. And actually, this the Jets' last game against the Jaguars was a perfect, uh, perfect example of how even that can be misleading. And I do like yards per attempt. I use it a lot. But in a, especially in a single game, it can be misleading. You look at Leonard Fournette in this game against the Jets. 19 carries, 76 yards, 4 yards per carry, which is slightly below average, but, you know, decent, solid. It would lead you to believe that he had a, you know, like I said, decent or solid game against the Jets. But, you know, as we know, if we watch the game, uh, he had a 66-yard run on the second play of the game. And then the rest of the game, he had 10 yards on 18 carries, zero first downs on any of those carries. So that's one conversion across 19 carries. And it was a huge conversion. It set up a game-opening touchdown that gave Jacksonville a lead that, you know, they would lead the entire game. or it It was tied for a little bit, but they never gave the lead away but he only converted one time on 19 carries which is not good at all it's pretty terrible actually but 
uh, yards per attempt would lead you to believe that he played, you know, pretty decently just because he had that one long run. So long runs can skew yards per attempt. Uh, and like he, like Drew Thomas said, at the goal line, uh, if you score like uh, four touchdowns in a game from one yard, it's going to make your yards per attempt look bad. But you're doing what you're supposed to do. So there, there are a lot of other stats to make that look better. You could look at, you know, just overall uh, conversion percentage on rushing plays, first downs and touchdowns divided by attempts. Uh, there's rushing D, uh, DVOA at uh, Football Outsiders, which is really good. Uh, the kind just kind of encap- encapsulates, you know, you know, like you said, uh, what Joe Thomas said, just what the goal is, because uh, not every yard is equal. Ten yards on fourth and twenty is not the same as ten yards on third and goal from the other team's ten yard line. So, and that's what stats like DVOA do, just kind of uh, really take every play and truly measure the value of them uh, in terms of how they affect. Uh, the outcome of the game and not just looking at the total of yards uh, without any context to it. So that's what, why DVA is really great. It doesn't necessarily tell you which player is better because like we know, Le'Veon Bell, his stats make him look like the worst running back in the league. But in terms of what he can control, he's not necessarily the worst player in the league, but the numbers uh, like DVA will tell you which player is producing uh, at the best and worst level. And of course, Bell has been producing like one of the worst players in the league. Doesn't mes- necessarily mean he's that bad, but with advanced stats, you can get a look at who's actually, who whose opportunities, whose touches are actually producing at a level that helps the team win the game, not just put up, not help your fantasy team win the game, it actually help uh, their football team uh, win the game. But pass rush win rate in terms of pass protection is a really interesting one. I think it's, uh, I think you mentioned it. It's uh, if a blocker sustains the block for at least two seconds, I think it is, then they get credit with the win. If, you know, the pass rusher creates pressure within two seconds, two or two and a half seconds, I'm not sure it is. But based on that time limit, they assign the win to either the pass rusher or the blocker. And I think I think it's interesting. It's a good a good solid stat, but I think that uh, it, it could use a little more context because, you know, sometimes there are quick passes. Sometimes teams throw the ball right away and the pass rusher doesn't even have the opportunity uh, to make anything happen. Sometimes, sometimes a good motor wins a rep. Uh, you know, you might be blocked for the first three seconds, but then create some uh, some havoc after that. Take advantage of the coverage and make a play uh, beyond the first few seconds. Or sometimes a blocker might not actually let the uh, their uh, assignment get a sack. Like they might not get schooled around the edge and give up a strip sack from behind. But this happens with Brian Winters a lot. Like he won't give up a sack or he won't let his guy actually touch the quarterback, but he'll just get driven off the snap and right into Sam Darnold's lap, force him to make a quick decision, force him to scramble, uh, which would lead to someone else's assignment actually sacking Darnold. So it, it could use a little more context. And again, I'm not sure how they actually track it because does Brian Winters get getting knocked in, into Darnold's lap? Does that count as a loss for him? Does that count as a pressure? Or did they actually have to let the guy you know get around them and get to the quarterback? So there's some subjectivity involved, but that's always going to be the case with offensive line. So it is a tough thing to really evaluate with stats because it is so subjective. What is a pressure? Uh, what actually constitute, constitutes a pressure? Is there a time limit on it? Do you have to actually get to the quarterback or can you create pressure by you know, knocking the blocker into the quarterback? So there's a lot of subjectivity involved, but it is, like he said, really good. They were getting more metrics that are kind of you know separating the O-line from just sacks because like what we talked about earlier, how uh, sacks are very much a quarterback stat, something that is more indicative of very often more indicative of them than the offensive line. So it's good that we're getting more stats like this. And, you know, as time goes on, uh, it it would only serve fans better, you know, just to get a better idea of who's actually good, who's actually bad, because, 
you know, fans all the time just lump the offensive line together. They say like, oh, the offensive line's bad, but you know, you don't know which player on the offensive line is the worst. Are they good in the run game or the pass game? Are they, you know, effective? Uh, which kind of rushers are they good against? Which kind of rushers are they bad against? We just don't have a lot of in- information on these five players who are so important to deciding the outcome of the game. So it- it's really good that we're getting more stats for the offensive line and, you know, for all positions, but uh, there still is a lot more work to be done. There is, a, it can be more readily available for everyone and, you know, it could just be more effective in terms of uh, what it tells you because, you know, pass rush win rate is a good start, but it can get a lot better in terms of, you know, context, like I said, which is really important. So, uh, it, it's really good, though, to have these numbers. And going forward, uh, we should definitely see more of it. And it's, it will be really helpful for teams and their own valuations, but you know, for fans as well and just understanding what's actually going on. Evaluating the offensive line is tricky, Michael, and a good offensive line is key to winning games, even if you're playing against a bad team like the Miami Dolphins. But even as bad as the Jets' offensive line is, the Dolphins' offensive line might be even worse, which is why it may be a good idea for you to bet on the Jets against the Dolphins this Sunday over at mybookie.ag. Right now, if you sign up over at mybookie.ag, you can place any prop bet you want, or you can bet on any of the games coming up this Sunday, including the Jets and the Miami Dolphins, and use the promo code OVERTIME to get your first deposit doubled. That's right. They will match your first deposit when you sign up over at mybookie.ag. You can bet on props across the league, or you can bet on props in the Jets game. Who's going to throw more touchdowns, Ryan Fitzpatrick or Sam Darnold? Who's going to throw more interceptions, Ryan Fitzpatrick or Sam Darnold? Will Adam Gase gloat in the postgame presser if he beats his old team? I'm going to bet yes on that one. You can bet on any of these, or you can bet on any of these, or any of the games across the league. Just go to mybookie.ag right now. Use the promo code OVERTIME, and you'll get your first deposit doubled. Mybookie.ag. You play, you win, and you get paid. And if you're going to be betting on the Jets and the Miami Dolphins, you may want to get out of this cold weather and head down to Miami, Florida for the weekend and catch yourself the Jets and the Dolphins live in person because I think the tickets are going to be pretty cheap. And if you want to get cheap tickets that are really, really good because, yeah, you don't want to spend a lot of money, but if you're going to make that trip, you want to get good seats. The best place to get good tickets for the cheapest price is at Vivid Seats. So if you download the Vivid Seats mobile app today, Enter the promo code OVERTIME at checkout. You will get up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase. You can get tickets for the Jets and the Dolphins if you're going to Miami, or if you're sticking around and you don't want to use it on that, you can use your discount on a wide variety of events, including concerts, other sports like basketball and hockey, even a pro wrestling show. Whatever your heart desires, you can get tickets over on the Vivid Seats mobile app. So just download the Vivid Seats mobile app, use the promo code OVERTIME, and you will get yourself up to 100 bucks off. On your very first purchase. And Michael, when it comes to the offensive line, I always recommend watching the tape, but obviously, unless you're getting paid to watch football full time, it's going to be impossible to watch the tape of every single team's offensive line. So it's good that we have advanced stats to measure the offensive line and that those advanced stats continue to evolve in a way that makes sense because. As you said, Michael, in the past, it's been very difficult to look at raw numbers and even to look at some of the more advanced stats and really tell the tale because there were so many things that were involved in what ended up happening on the play. And sometimes the offensive lineman would get blamed for something involving a sack that wasn't their fault because, like you said, sometimes it's a quarterback stat. And then there were other times where a running back would do something silly and end up getting stuff that had nothing to do with the offensive line. So as our understanding of what the offensive line actually does on each play evolves, so too do the advanced metrics to help our overall understanding 
of what is going on with the offensive line on a given play. And I think that's a great thing because I think a big part of the reason why people undervalue the offensive line and why people don't get excited when their team drafts the offensive line is because it's boring. It's not something like a wide receiver where you can just look at it and see the impact that they have or even look on the stat sheet and look at the number of touchdowns that they generated or the number of yards. Well, now as we move forward with the offensive line and figuring out the impact that it makes and which players are having that positive impact, I think a lot of fans are going to start to come around more on the importance of evaluating the offensive line properly and appreciating what the offensive line does, especially what a good offensive line can do for a team. If you want Exhibit A, go back and look at that Cowboys dynasty, probably the greatest offensive line I've ever seen back in the 90s. And Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin, and Emmett Smith will be the first to tell you that as great as they were, they wouldn't have been half as good without that incredible offensive line. So worth remembering as we head through the rest of this season and watch to see if any of the pieces on this line, particularly Chuma Adoga and maybe Alex Lewis, could be keepers. And as we head towards April when the draft comes up, because obviously we know that Joe Douglas is going to put a heavy emphasis on being able to put together pieces for the long term for that offensive line, unlike what Mike McCagnin did when he was here. And so just remember that those advanced stats will help guide your knowledge of the offensive linemen that the Jets are going to go after, I would assume, in free agency, the potential of keeping Adoga and Lewis, and then, of course, who they end up drafting in April. Michael, as always, it was awesome having you on to talk through these numbers. Really appreciate it. This is generally my refuge from some of the more disastrous elements of the Jets season. It's nice to get down the nitty gritty and talk some smart football with you. So for those that don't want this to end, who want to read all of your work that breaks down your really smart statistical analysis, why don't you let them know where they can go and what they can expect to read? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Michael underscore Nania. That's where I do all my ridiculous memes and sometimes pretty nerdy stats. A good good mix, good mix of those two things. But uh, Gangry Nation, Elite Sports New York, Yard Barker, Odds Checker, uh, really, really everywhere. If you're on a website, I probably have an article about the Jets on it. That's pretty much uh, the gist of this. So, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Go ahead and follow Michael on Twitter at Michael underscore Nania. Make sure you read his work in all the various places that he's publishing it. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.